This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller in Kemp, Texas. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 12th, episode 2267. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Hey, welcome back, Mary. Mary is here the second Thursday of every month and she sits down with me and we geek out on horse training and everything equestrian. How you doing, girlfriend? I'm doing pretty good. Lots of stuff going on. So just trying to keep everything organized, which You're is my strong suit. You're just trying to keep your head suit. above water, aren't you? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, coming up on today's show, uh, we're going to keep your head above water by uh, chatting a little bit about desensitization and bomb-proofing, what they really mean and when it's good and when it's bad and when it's ugly. And then a little bit later in the show, Road to the Horse 2020 edition wild card, Craig Moore is going to join us. And in the negative space in between, Mary is going to answer listener questions. And how does she get listener questions? She goes over to Facebook, to the Horse Radio Network auditors page and says, hey, who wants to ask a question? And our auditors type stuff in there and we answer a lot of it. Who is an auditor, you may ask? Well, auditors are folks who see value in the Horse Radio Network programming, and they go to our, over to our Patreon account, and they toss in a couple of bucks every month, and that gives them the privilege of getting the inside scoop on all sorts of things, including being in the coolest horse people Facebook page on planet Earth. So if you want to be an auditor, go over to Horse Radio Network or HorsesInTheMorning.com and press the Become an Auditor banner, and you can join the fun too. So. What are we going to talk about? What is this training tip beyond desensitization, bomb-proofing? It just sounds so basic. Desensitize your horse. Throw a couple of saddle pads at him until he doesn't care anymore and you're off and running, right? Exactly. It's just that easy. And uh, not as, yeah, as many people know, it's not. Uh, so this concept of desensitizing or some people call it sacking out or bomb-proofing, um, I kind of feel like it came to popularity with the rise of the natural horsemanship movement and all these clinicians that came to the forefront. Um, and that was the first time I had ever heard anything about it. I actually started writing English and our, um, the groundwork that I was taught uh, was just lunge them if they're a little fresh and then get on and hang on. And uh, it made me a phenomenal rider. I used to be able to stick to anything because all my horses were batty. So <laughs> I was able to I ride out a yeah. lot of stuff yeah, in relate. a close contact, no padded, no knee roll collegiate no. saddle. Oh yes. No con no knee rolls. The, the classic flat, um, equitation saddle. Yeah. It was I invented in that saddle yeah. because that's what I had to ride in. Um, 
I was really good. So, so it wasn't until, you know, I started looking into doing natural horsemanship that I even understood or had heard about desensitizing. And I think a lot of riders today, um, understand the basic concept of how to do it, um, and, you know, you get the lead rope out and you toss it at your horse until he stops moving and then you release pressure or, and there's all sorts of things that we desensitize our horse to. So we do the lead rope or a whip or a flag. So stick with the flag at the end of it. Um, we even make these elaborate obstacles and poo noodles for the horse to go through saddle blanket, saddle, we jump on them bareback. And the basic concept, um, that I was taught was you just do that until the horse stops moving and then presto your horse is bomb proof yeah and unfortunately it's not always that simple because and and the reason this uh this topic came up in my mind is because i've seen i've been seeing a lot of issues surrounding this thing in particular where Someone, uh, an owner is very diligent and they flapped all sorts of crazy things around their horse and yet their horse is still nervous and still spooks at things. Um, and you know, they don't understand why they've, they've moved all sorts of things around their horse and their horse doesn't move. So he should be fine. Um, but there's, there's, there's a couple of different kinds of horses, uh, as most of you probably know, you know, they're not a one size fits all creature with one personality. And so some horses are quite reactive when you move things around, um, and they'll have a big reaction to it and then they won't have a big reaction to it and they're fine. And some horses are naturally more quiet minded and things just don't naturally scare them as much. And then you'll have these sort of in between horses that might react in the beginning and then they will stop reacting when we're doing our desensitizing. And they look fine, they look calm, they look placid. Um, and you think, okay, that's great, I've done my job. And then the next day they spook at the same thing again. You're like, what the heck is going on? Well, I think what is happening is these horses first react because they're frightened of something or they don't understand something. And as soon as they realize that reacting is not an option because we control how, you know, the general role of desensitizing is if they react, we'll tip their nose toward us and control where they move and how they move. So they, they really quickly realize, well, I can't just jump the fence and get away. And while they're still not accepting of the scary thing, they go into another mode of defense, which I don't think we talk about enough in horse training. We do have a few questions related to this. So their second mode of defense, if they can't move their feet, is to shut down. They just close up shop. No one's home. Out to lunch. They are not there anymore. Not mentally. Now, and if, if we were to relate this to a naturally occurring behavior of a feral or wild animal, would that be similar to you see a prey animal like a horse mm -hmm. captured by predator creatures? You know, the wolf has his jaws around his neck and it just, and he's running off with it. And the, the creature, you go, Oh my gosh, it's dead. It's just, it's just dangling there. And then the creature stops and drops the little creature. And two seconds later, the creature jumps up and leaves because he went into shutdown mode. Is it is it something along those lines, do you think, that that yeah, shutdown process like, is chemically embedded in the animal? Yeah, I feel like that can be related or in, I guess an even more simple 
wild animal analogy. It's like a tortoise just going into a shell or an armadillo rolling up into a little ball. Um, just it's, it's a way to kind of mentally protect themselves. And I see this quite often with mules and donkeys. Um, mules and donkeys do not express flight as a reaction nearly as much as horses. And that's comes from the donkey. The donkey donkey simply does not have the stamina to run away all the time. Like a horse does, they have to conserve energy. So oftentimes instead of reacting to something, the donkey will just shut down and they, they are brilliant at it. I've seen people wailing on donkeys with two by fours, trying to get them in the trailer. And that donkey will not. And this is why people tend to think that mules and donkeys are stubborn or they're dull. I actually think they are very, very incredibly sensitive, maybe more so than horses. But where a horse will react and clearly show you, I don't like this, I'm frightened, the donkey, if he cannot run um, or if he chooses not to fight, he'll just close down. And so this can often look like acceptance. And I've seen horses and they have things waved all over them and their eyes seems pretty soft and they don't seem tense and they're standing perfectly still. Everything seems great. Yet that same horse will continue to spook at things and continue to react um, even though you've worked and worked and worked on trying to get him a little less sensitive to his environment. So how do we how do we solve this and how do we recognize that this is happening? Um, I have started experimenting with not simply waiting till my horse does nothing when I move things around. And this is why I actually don't like the term desensitizing because I don't want my horse to just ignore the world. I don't want him shut down. I don't want him dull and not listening to my cues. You know, especially if I'm riding a sport horse, he needs to be keen and alert and sensitive and listening to my cues and ready to go at a moment's notice. Um, so how do I get that, but also stay alive um, yeah. <laughs> and keep him quiet when he needs to? So when I, when I see a horse that's just kind of not really participating in the session, they're just kind of there and you can just see them kind of go away. Um, I will desensitize past the point of simply non-reaction. I will actually try to establish a behavior of this is the behavior that will get me to release and reward you. So a lack of so simply because the horse is not spooking doesn't mean he's getting something accomplished. If that makes sense, I'm so, getting it now. So you actually want to create a reaction, in other words, a, a behavior versus a lack of a behavior, which could exactly. indicate the shut, horse shutting down. Oh, now I'm getting it. Okay. Yes, and this could take a while, especially if this horse has a habit of just. Oh, you're waving something. I'm just going to go go inside myself and ignore. Um, so what are some things that I will look for rather than simply a lack of spooking that I can release that the pressure of whatever I'm waving around the horse? Um, so a very simple one. So first, I would like their feet to be pretty immobile. They don't have to be perfectly statue still. But, you know, I, I would like them to not be moving so much, but I want to go beyond just uh, they're not doing this and see what I can get them to do in order to earn the reward and release. Um, so a simple one would be they lower their head. If I see them drop that pole a couple inches, I'll stop waving the flag, give them a pet, click and treat if that's the kind of training I'm doing. Um, the other things that I will look for is 
if they take a deep breath. So a lot of horses will just sit there kind of really tight and then all of a sudden they'll go, and you'll just hear them blow a bunch of air out their nose. So that's something that I will look for. Or of course, licking and chewing is a really good one. Um, shaking their head kind of side to side, almost like they just got up from a roll and they're just shaking all the dirt off of them. Um, cocking a hind leg. Uh, now you have to be careful to make sure it's not cocking a hind leg that's ready to fire and kick out. It's, it's a relaxed like hind leg, just they, they loosen up that back leg and cock it and relax. Um, so any of those kinds of things, uh, are things I will release for. And on some horses, I might be sitting here waving my flag for a long time before they finally come out of their dead zone of not doing anything and show me some form of relaxation. There have been a couple of horses where I've actually gently grabbed the halter and asked them to lower their head while I'm waving something around. And I've noticed an enormous change in a lot of my horses that were previously a little difficult by doing this, just by waiting for a slight, subtle change that goes beyond them just ignoring. Um, and you can do this, you can exaggerate this so much to where they will learn to drop their head lower and lower and lower when crazy things are waving around them. And you can actually get them to lay down if you played with this long enough. Um, I can see it now. You go to a horse show, there's flags waving everywhere. Trot down the center line, halt at X and lay down. Exactly. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. You have to really, <laughs> really, really work hard on that to have that happen. But wouldn't be the worst thing that could happen in the center line. There have been far worse incidents. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so what I'm teaching the horse to do is if something unfamiliar happens, you know, give to pressure, stop moving your feet, relax, wait for further instructions. Um, and the long, the more I've done this and gotten these bigger um, relaxation signs, I've seen horses that would previously just kind of stand there and not do anything. And I've seen these horses just kind of oh, like you could see them visible relief, them just starting to let down. And they might first, you know, if you're looking for that head to lower, they might just lower their head initially just because they know, well, that's what gets her to stop waving things. So that's what right, I'm going right, to do. Right, right. But after a while, if you played with it long enough, you will see them lower their head and keep it down there. And then they'll start kind of nosing in the dirt and like blinking their eyes more, licking and chewing. You'll see them kind of swish their tail a little bit, relax their legs, relax their whole stance. And that's what I'm looking for rather than just them simply not doing anything. Yeah. And a lot of this yeah. was inspired, you know, I had a trainer on, I think, I think sometime this year, uh, uh, talking about the endo tapping method. So they tap the horse with little foam balls until it drops its head and you can get some pretty big reactions out of that. I personally don't think there's anything magical about where you're tapping the horse or, you know, what kind of tool you're using. But I think you are creating some stimulation and waiting for the horse to give you this behavior of lowering that head and relaxing. And there's something about dropping that pole. At first, they just do it because it's a behavior. There's just condition response. Oh, when I lower my head, she stops doing things or she gives me a cookie. So I'm just going to do that. But you'll see a change. You'll see them change over from, oh, I feel quite nice with my head down here. This, this is lovely. I'm going to just sit here and yawn and lick and chew and 
feel great about life. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. So I'm, uh, I guess my takeaway, uh, what I'd like you guys to take away is go beyond just them ignoring you. We don't want them to ignore. We want them to think. Interesting. So if we were to take this, um, one step further, so you're riding your horse and you need to desensitize or familiarize. I like the word familiarize a little bit more. Yeah, Um, that's a better term. Get through something that's a little bit intimidating while you're under saddle. For example, you have one of those horses and there are plenty of them out there that tend to spook at the the little rail around the outside edge of a dressage arena. It'll be a little chain or it'll be a little plastic rail and it, the little sand ticks against it and it freaks them out. Or they're just plain afraid of the dressage letters or the or something like that. How might this look from an under saddle point of view since you're you need to there's going to be pressure and there's going to be a release of pressure and you want the horse to participate versus because sometimes you'll see it where the horse is afraid of those letters and the horse doesn't get over their fear of the letters. The rider simply distracts them enough with aids that are sufficiently strong that the horse doesn't have time to look at the letters. So as soon as they get to X, end of test, leave the arena on a loose rein, the horse gets within 15 feet of the letter and freaks out. So the horse obviously has not gotten used to the flowers. He's not been desensitized. He was just distracted long enough and you were able to hold it together. What might happen if you need to do something like that under saddle? Oh, that is a terrific question. And it's a very common problem in horse shows, whether it's dressage or... um, So here's something that I see at every Mustang makeover I go to. And uh, we get these green horses in this crazy, scary indoor arena with only four months of training, tall order. And the walls are already scary because you've got people sitting in the stands. The walls are like a stark white. And the staff the day before the event, while we're all warming up, is hanging up scary banners along the side. So you've got a stark white wall and scary banners. So these horses come in there and they're like, I ain't going nowhere near the wall. So here's what I see that most of the time doesn't work. Um, Someone brings in their horse. Their horse is clearly eyeballing the banners on the wall like what the heck. So what they do is they're bringing their horse fresh off the trailer into the arena. They beeline their horse right to the banner and try to get them to touch their nose on it and familiarize themselves with it. They might even shake the banner, which really annoys me because then it it makes my horse spooky. I'm like, we're not outside. The wind is not going to catch this thing. Don't start something. Don't just don't. (laughs) It's not going to be an issue. Don't start it because you're not going to be able to finish it. You don't have the time. So but they're trying to get they're trying to do in their mind. a a service to their horse. Like, here's a scary thing. Let's take a moment and look at it. I'm going to shake it. So you know that it shakes for whatever reason. Um, and then they think they get their horse to a good spot and they get on, try to ride around. As soon as they pass the banner, the horse spooks at it. What the heck? I just showed it to you. Why are you spooking at it? Several things wrong with that. The horse is not in the right frame of mind to go and walk up to the scariest thing in the arena and conquer his fears. He is fresh off the trailer in this brand new air conditioned arena. He's not, he's not right for, he, he can't do that. That's like if you, if I had arachnophobia and you tried to get me over my fear spiders by just surprising me with a tarantula right in my face, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be cool with that. I'm not going to get over my fear that way. So how do you, how do you do this? Um, 
So with things scary on the side of the fence, here's what I do. Anytime I go to a horse show, the first ride in the warm-up arena is a gimme for, in my mind. This is a, you're not expected to be show ready in this ride. I just want you safe and listening to me. That's all. That's all we need to happen. If you need to look around, that's fine, but you're going to stay on task. So I can predict that my horse is not going to want to go to the wall. So I don't even mess with it the first several minutes of riding. I get as close as I can to the wall riding around without making a fight about it. If I think they're going to blow through my aids, I will not go that far. I don't, I don't want to get the horse running off and fighting me his first ride in this arena. So the things I want him to do, I want him to ride forward, relaxed, listening to my aids. The biggest thing is that he continues to go forward. He's allowed to look, but if he wants to stop and kind of, all I do is I just keep gently pushing him forward and I will get him warmed up that way. Just going around, you know, walk, trot, canter, just make sure he's listening to me. He doesn't have to be like all bridled up and doing his tempy lead changes or whatever. Just go forward, around, relaxed. And I teach my horses to, when I drive them forward with my legs, it doesn't simply mean go or go faster. It means soften down deep into that bridle. So this is where that familiar concept of what I did on the ground of you're going to feel stimulation on your sides, drop that pull down, just drop down, continue to go forward, but relax, drop that pull down, soften into that bridle. So I'm going to work on that going around, just gently driving them into my hands, which a lot of dressage people, that's how they ride, a lot of leg. You ride to your hands. And so getting them to soften into that bridle and go nice and straight. And the more that I go around that arena, it, I will be able to take a step towards the wall each lap, just kind of go, you know, I'll just get closer and closer to the wall as we go. Um, once I feel my horse, he feels warmed up. He's done everything I wanted him to do that ride. And again, my expectations for that first ride, very minimal. Just listen to me, stay safe, go forward, relax, soften that bridle. We don't have to do our spins and stops and lead changes on this ride. This is just to get your muscles warmed up, be in the arena ride. So it might take 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. Um, but at some point that horse is going to feel, I'll feel a marked difference between he was a little tense before. Now he's warmed up. He might be a little tired, needing a break. He's relaxed and he's, I've got his brain. When that happens, I will I will find a place in the arena where I want to stop and give him either a break or get off for the, for the day. And so if he was scared of the red banner on the left side of the arena, I'll ride around and get as close as I can to that. I'm not going to turn him into it. Just I'm riding along the rail, get him as close as I can to the banner without creating a fight. Cause I'm trying to find a place to release him. And once we come within, you know, a safe range of that banner, I'm going to, to a stop and we're going to sit there and that's we're going to have our breaks uh, on every ride and you would be surprised on how little it takes to get him to go oh I quite like that red banner this is where I get to relax and that in my opinion helps the horse much better than trying to turn their nose into it and make them head on because for one thing 
Very, so you're not, yeah, one, you're not forcing the horse to stare it down, so to speak. You're just, well, you know, we just happen to be in the vicinity of the thing that you thought was kind of scary, but we're not so close that we've put you over that threshold where the scared part kicks in. Because when he's scared, he's not learning. You still have him in that mental learning state, but close enough that he's going to go, oh, yep. Well, there it is, but it's not, she's not forcing me over there, so I don't have to be scared. But golly, I get to take a break. This is nice. Or if you're one of those people who uses positive reinforcement and you it's you get that horse to a point where he has earned a reward, that's where he's going to get the reward. It just happens to be exactly. over where that formerly scary thing is. Just close enough that he goes, yep, there it is, but not so close where he goes, I need to worry about it. Very interesting. And if you use that, yeah. if you use that same process when you come across things in your arena that are... Um, distracting or scary, um, the horse, when he gets to a horse show situation, you can begin to apply that same process in that he know he recognizes the process. Oh, there's the scary thing. We're going to warm up and we're going to get closer to it. And as I get closer to it and I am performing these tasks as requested, I'm softening into the bridle or I am doing my 20 meter circles and doing leg yields because that's what we do at home. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get some kind of reward, whether it's my break and release of pressure or it is a positive reinforcement when I get kind of close to that thing that is kind of scary and he's going to make that association. <gasps> I love it. Ding, 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 ding. It's the most efficient way I can think of to get them over something at showtime because here are some, here are a couple important things to remember. One, you don't have much time. So if you try to conquer this phobia he has head on, now he's going to remember that banner because he got scared. You got after him for coming off the wall and fought with him. So now he not only remembers that the banner was very scary, but that you had a fight there. So now he really doesn't want to be near that red banner. And you do not have enough time to win that battle and he's going to resent going into that arena and fighting with you because he remembers what happened the first time. Um, the other thing to remember is uh, your mentality and where your attention goes will guide him. So what everyone does and myself included, you see something that maybe your horse has spooked at in the past and maybe both of you had a bad experience with or something that you think your horse might spook at and all of your attention goes there. And as you're riding around, you're looking at that banner and getting tense and he's going to go, geez, she's really freaking out by that banner. I should probably worry too. So if they're looking at that banner and threatening to spook, I look forward. I look where I'm going and say, hey, you don't have time to look at that banner. We're riding to the wall right there. So you need to go forward. And that can help line out a spook and keep them, you know, if they're thinking about jumping sideways, if you drive them forward, you can help curb the direction of that spook and stay seated. And you're telling the horse, don't look at the banner. I'm asking you to do something. Come back to task. And that horse is going to find when they listen to you, they're going to find that relief. Um, so that's really important as well. And the final thing is just do not create a fight. Don't don't create a fight. You want them to enjoy going to shows. And if you go to a show and fight them in that arena, that's all they're going to associate it with. And they're going to hate leaving home because they're going to have a big fight with you every time. So, you know, I've been to shows where I just wasn't able to get a horse up on the rail. You can do a lot of not cheating. It's not illegal. But you could do a lot of filling in the gaps and keeping that horse looking really nice 
without, you know, like I'll just ride three feet off the rail. A little bit harder in a dressage test to do that, I understand. But, but sometimes you know, when you're working through these kinds of things, you have to suck it up and just do it. So your score is yeah. going to suck. But yeah, that's the that may be the better option than creating the battle. I'll take a quiet, less yeah. than perfect ride yeah. over a fight any day. Yeah. Yeah. The long game. Very interesting stuff. Oh, I have so much more things to to rattle around in my little brain because it's, it's very nearly autumn here in Ocala, Florida, where I'm at. So thank goodness uh, riding season has returned. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's still 100 here, but my horses are getting winter coats. It's crazy. Yeah, it is nuts. It is nuts. And speaking of overheated and hot, um, let's hear a little bit from the folks at Horseware who have a product called Ice Vibe that is going to cool your horse in all the right places at all the right times. And then we're going to come back and answer some listener questions. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware.
there you have it. That is Templeton Thompson with Beautiful Day, as you may have guessed. You can find Templeton Thompson's music at templetonthompson.com. She's on iTunes, Spotify, CD Baby, etc. You can also just go there and buy her music and download it. You can buy her CDs, and I would encourage you to do so. She has all kinds of great stuff. And speaking of great stuff, you've got a clinic coming up, Mary. I do. So on the 21st, I am having a clinic at my place in Kemp, Texas, and we've got some auditors who are showing up. Where's Kemp, um, Texas? Huh? Where is Kemp, Texas? It is. Texas is a hour. big state. I mean, you know. It is. It is kind of kind of big. So I've heard. Uh, <laughs> it's about an hour southeast of Dallas. So it's in northeast Texas. And... Um, we're, I'm going to do a little bit of a different format. So instead of having an arena full of riders and we're all just kamikaze, try not to kill each other all at once. Um, we're going to do, uh, each rider gets a slot and I will work with you, uh, and your horse on whatever you want to work on for that hour. That is your hour. So if it's, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, everyone is going to learn from watching each horse go, uh, any free time that we have in between sessions is, uh, I'm, I'll be have, I'll have my new Mustang by then. So I'll do a little demonstration with, um, working with that horse and I've got Remy who does some cool tricks and so we could do a little positive uh, reinforcement or liberty. So it'll just be fun and casual. Um, So if you have any questions about that, feel free to message me on Facebook and I will send you details. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So Mary Kitzmiller on Facebook, right? Uh Uh-huh. So you can message there. So Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship. Yeah. Go to that page and send me a message there. And it's September 21st, 2019. Yes. And nine to four. Nine to four. And bring your own horse or use a horse? Uh, it is either bring your own horse or come and audit okay. and so you can do both. watch. Yes. Yes. And I need to take a head count on how many horses we already have. Uh, so I'll be posting some newer details on that probably today on Facebook. Um but this is this is a format I have wanted to do for a while where we just we we all are watching a one horse go and we're just all putting all of our energy and concentration into figuring out this horse in this moment and what he needs. Um, I've been to clinics that have been taught in this format and I've taken away so much from them um, rather than. You've got 20 people in an arena and this person over here is just trying not to get bucked off. But this person's working on lead changes and we're doing it all at the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. As an auditor, you're right. It's hard to get the most out of that, that format because um, so-and-so, Jane over there, had a breakthrough, but you were busy watching Fred. It's like, oh, man, I missed that. So you're right. I can see how this format could be really, really beneficial because you can focus on all of the important detail of each ride. Now, for somebody who rides English, they can come to your clinic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, I can't guarantee you I will have the perfect understanding of the English discipline, but, uh, you know, I can help with a variety of issues that we all deal with as horse owners, whether it's my horse isn't soft or he's not listening or he's spooky or he's too fast or he's too slow. Um, I think that's something. My favorite, my favorite. We talked about this before the show started this morning. I've desensitized my horse to the point where he won't move off my leg anymore. Exactly. (laughs) If your horse won't move off your legs, it doesn't matter what your discipline is. 
Mary can help you with it. <laughs> I can. I can. Because that's one of my bad habits. I always have to check myself. I'm like, oh, I've been using too much leg again. <laughs> and, and Nigel's really good because my horse, Nigel, who is a thoroughbred, he's not an off the track thoroughbred because he was, he just, he never even made it to the track. But um, I tend to use really big aids, particularly with my leg in my seat, when they're completely unnecessary. Yes, just, yes. Just soften, find your center, look in the direction with your go- that you need to go with your whole body, and he'll go there. You don't need to just grip giantly with your leg. And I get a lot less when I'm gripping giant leg aids. A lot less happens. It's bad. Yeah, these suckers are so sensitive and they fool us into thinking they're not sensitive, but they've just learned to accept our craziness and lack of feel. And they're like, ah, she's kicking again, whatever. But you can, you can resensitize. So we talk about desensitizing. You can resensitize that horse. They see, you know, every time you see a horse that has a teeny little fly land on his butt and you see how much that annoys him and he'll freak out, try to bite his own butt to get that fly off. He can feel your legs. He's just learned to ignore half of what you do. So <laughs> you, and it, you've you know. ta- and, and better yet, he, you've taught him to ignore yes. it. It's not that he's yes. learned to. You taught him that. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is your doing. That is your <laughs> deal right there. So September 21st, if you need more information about attending the clinic as a, a participant or a auditor, go to Mary Kiss Miller Horsemanship on Facebook. Yep, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. All right. Now we, we, need, a, we need some kind of a a sound effect for this, but I don't have one. Uh, time to get to auditor questions. What are we going to tackle first? Man, we got some really, really great and thoughtful questions this time around. Uh, so our first one, I'm just going to go in order because they're all equally awesome, is from, and I hope I pronounce this right, Nan Resch. And her question is, how do you judge how long to train your horse? My five-year-old Arab was green when I bought him. He's still green. He had 30 days on him. He's curious and smart, but seems a bit ADD like me. And if I play or work too long, greater than 25 minutes with him, even on the ground with obstacles, he seems to shut down and even once had a big meltdown. I don't drill repeatedly, but I want to keep him engaged and learning. Um, so that is a fantastic question. Um, So even though the horse is five, I would say with about roughly 30 days or more of training on him, uh, I would still probably say he's a baby. He's green. He probably has a little bit of baby brain going on. Um, So on on a lot of colts for many months, um, I don't go much past a 10-minute ride, to be honest with you. Um, I've got one amazing filly in training. She is terrific and wonderful, and I want her so bad, and she's the sweetest horse ever. Um, but after about three minutes, she's done. And she doesn't, she's not mean about it, but she just clearly says, I'm not, I'm not going anymore. And for her in her stage of training, which is about, you know, 30 rides, um, I just try to never get to that point. There will be a time when I will ask her to go beyond what she thinks she can do, but we're not in that stage right now. I want to keep those rides light, fun, easy. I don't want to bring a fight to them. Um, So I think you're okay keeping the rides 
25 minutes or less uh, with a horse with 30 days, especially an Arabian. Um, not because they're dumb or spooky or crazy, uh, because they're very smart and they're thinking. And I think it can be hard for them to hold that much mental stamina at that kind of age and training. Um, I think it's very hard for them to juggle all of that. And they can just sort of shut down or have a meltdown on you. And we don't want that to happen. Um, so there's lots of things you can do to kind of keep them curious and keep them willing. Um, when I do my rides, I like to do two different kinds of exercises. So every, everything I do with my horse under saddle falls into one of two categories. One is what I would call like suppleness and softening. So this is like working on lateral flexion or your leg yields or backing with softness, side passing, those kinds of things. So I've got that list of exercises that fall under that softness and suppleness category. And then I've got the category of impulsion. And this is working on my walk, trot, and canter and going forward um, and steering at those gates and riding, you know, with speed control on a nice loose rein. Um, so when I get on, I just, I kind of go back and forth. I'll pick an exercise for softness, and we'll work on that till it gets a little bit better than it was yesterday. Leave that alone. And then I'll do an impulsion exercise, and we'll work on that. And that seems to help keeping their brain from going into overload. And I also do lots of breaks, lots of, oh, man, that side pass was amazing. Why don't we just sit here for a moment or two? And this not only helps your horse get this immense relief from do having done something very well, but you're also building their mental stamina to be patient because some t some types of horses, lots of times Arabs, you're more hot-blooded horses that are very fidgety and mentally they're just their brain's going a million miles an hour. They need more practice of just, let's just stand here for a moment. And I'll build that, mo I'll build on that moment of just standing and resting on a loose rein for, you know, up to 10 minutes over time so that if I'm ever in a situation where I need my horse to stand, like we're waiting for our turn to go in the show pen, they've had practice at that. So it's really three different kinds of things I'm doing. So I usually start off the ride with something that has to do with softness. So I might get on and flex them gently left and right and just let them know, hey, listen to me, make sure you're paying attention to the bit and you're soft. And I don't want you to think just because I've sat in the saddle that we're going to go canter off now. We don't want to start that habit. So I'll soften them a little bit. Um, I might do some serpentines at a walk, a little bending, you know, just kind of easy, ease them into the ride and... Once I feel like, well, that's better than it was yesterday. Okay, let's go trotting around. So I might trot around for about five minutes on a nice loose rein, steer them here and there. Um, and then, you know, after a good trot, I might let them sit for a moment and just take a breath. And then we'll work on softness again. I'll say, okay, you know, let's work on getting three or four soft backup steps and get that. And okay, that's better than it was yesterday. Okay, let's go work on our canner. So by kind of not keeping it all one mundane ride um, and v putting a lot of variation in your exercises, uh, that can help keep their mind engaged. And I'm always at this point in training, again, there will probably come a time where I will demand my horse, like, I know you're a little tired and a little cranky, but you're going to keep going. I'd say 30 days of training, anything less than even 90 days of training. I don't want to invite that fight. So if I feel them, um, if I feel them at all, like, oh, 
this horse is going to quit me. I'm going to find a place to take a break and I'm going to get off and loosen the girth. I might be done for the day or I might just let the horse stand tied for a little bit um, and then bring him out and ride him a little bit later. And then in between all these training rides, so my final thing on this, in between all these training rides, have a ride that is just a let's go play in the pasture for a little bit or let's go on a short trail ride where you still want them listening and soft and, you know, understanding your aids, but you're, you're just having fun with them. So that helps get them out of the arena, break up the monotony. Um, so I would say overall, you know, this is pretty typical for a young horse, uh, for a young, very smart and curious horse. Uh, and I don't think you, there's any kind of pressure that you need to have him being perfect past 25 minutes of riding. There you go. Yeah, there's so much going on in that five-year-old brain and five-year-old body that it's easy for us to say, this isn't that hard. Well, it might be. Yeah, yeah it's, and he it's might so be five. easy to underestimate that. Yeah. Five like is fairly mature, but he's also green. So I would very much treat him like he's two. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean, oh, he's five already and he hasn't. No, that's just where he is in training. He'll get caught up with every other horse just fine. But he might be five. But as far as training, he's only had, you know, education of a two or three year old. Um, so that's definitely something you want to take into consideration. Yeah. And 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 uh, tweak that to suit your horse. OK, cool. Awesome. Thank you, Nan, for that great question. What do we got next? We've got time for one more. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's do, let's just go on to the next one. Um, can you talk about how to work with a shutdown horse? What format or tools have you found that helps them be successful? How to help a horse engage with you, identifying when they are working with you and accepting a new concept versus shutting down, which we've been talking about, to a new concept and freezing. How to set behavior ba boundaries with a horse that shuts down. Uh, I feel like this is a topic there's not a lot of information on and my horse fits into this bucket. I've made some progress with him using the information I saw from the short Warwick Schiller videos, who's a really excellent trainer. Um, I would love more training suggestions on better ways to reach my horse and prevent him from shutting down as I retrain him. Thank you. Uh, so this can be quite common, especially a horse that you are retraining. They've just learned to flat ignore you. Uh, this is one of those uh, topics. I actually prefer Mustangs to domestics uh, for a lot of reasons. And one of them is because when I walk into that pen, that Mustang's going to look at me. He does not want to take his eyes off of me. If he takes his eyes off of me, he's probably thinking about jumping out of the round pen. But other than that, he wants to keep his eyes on me. The domestic horses... They've seen people, you know, they've been through different owners. They, they've seen and done things. And sometimes they can go, ah, I don't really care about you. I'm just going to go into this corner and eat grass. And you can't get them to look at you, let alone listen to you and do what you want. So where I would start with a horse like that is some sort of round pin training. Uh, I know Monty Roberts has join up. I do something slightly different, but I'm trying to achieve the same thing, which is when I walk into the arena or the round pen, I usually start this in a pretty small pen like a round pen. So lesson one before we do anything is if I'm in the pen with you, you look at me. That's all I want. Just keep it simple. Just look at me. So I might have to be really big and crazy with a very shut down horse or very like you know, a horse that's just learned to ignore everything. But I can't get anything else done if when I work with him, he won't even 
He won't even look at me. So I will walk into the pen and um, I will try to catch his attention. And I might have to jump up and down, wave a rope, wave a flag, something just to get him to look in my direction. As soon as he does, I'm going to release all pressure. I might walk several steps back to the fence, give him a break, and then I'm going to do it again. And that's that's the first lesson I do. And I, you know, I first start with, I'm in the pen with you. You need to look at me. Number one. And then my next lesson is wherever I walk to in the pen, your eyes need to follow me. So if I walk to the side, you need to stay with me. And there's several methods available that you can look into to get this to happen. Um, But the gist of it is uh, if I like walk four steps to the right or left and he's just eating grass, ignore me, I will do something to make myself suddenly very interesting. So, you know, with a Mustang, sometimes I just have to kind of, very lightly raise my hand up and that Mustang's like, what? You moved? Ha! And they'll look at me. But some horses, I might have to do jumping jacks and scream bloody murder just to get them to pay attention. (laughs) Um, I've had those horses. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because it's like, no, that works. Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It does work. And then it's it's a good workout for you too. Yeah. And I make sure. So, you know, rule one is look at me. Rule two is wherever I move in this pen, you look at me. Um, and once I get those two things going on, I'll already see a big difference. Um, of that horse needs eyes on me, no matter where I am. Um, and that, that can help out a lot to sort of start opening the door and getting that horse to pay attention to you uh, and engage with you. The other thing that I really like to do with shutdown horses is clicker training. Because almost every horse, uh, when you break out the cookies, is going to go, hey, wait, you have cookies? What what must I do to earn these cookies? And it can help whether the horse is shut down because he's had a troubled past or he's been abused or he's just learned to kind of, eh, I don't, I don't really need to look at you because I'm, I've had 15 owners and they're all crazy and I don't care anymore. Uh, no matter what the reason is for him being kind of shut down, uh, going at him with positive reinforcement can really help put that kind of sparkle back in their eye um, and get them get them latched on to you again. And so I do a lot of exercises like targeting, teaching them to touch an object that I present to them that can help sort of bring them out of their shell. That's a, that's a really excellent way that I found that can get a shutdown horse kind of engaged again. And there's a lot of great programs out there on how you can get started. I have a DVD there, Shauna Karish, who's got a show uh, on Horse Radio Network. Um, There's Alex Curlin, who's a trainer I really admire, who does a lot with it as well. If you're looking for programs uh, in that uh, sort of topic. Fascinating stuff. Great ideas on getting your horse to pay attention and engage in the activities that you are suggesting. Great stuff. And we've got time for, I think, me, you know, I don't think we have time for one more. Why don't we go ahead and give our guest a call and okay. get Craig on the line here. And since we are producer list today, I'm going to do that live. I need to hit a couple of buttons here. I'm going to add that one over there. And then we're going to go like that. And then we're going to go like that. And we're going to dial up Craig, whose phone number is in here. 
So while you're doing that, so Craig Moore is a fellow Mustang trainer, and I, I believe he won the Florida Mustang makeover last year, which earned him a spot at Road to the Horse. Uh, so he is a, a wildcard competitor for Road to the Horse 2020. Um, so these wildcards uh, is um, it's a group of trainers that are competing to be on the main roster next year for next year's road to the horse. So they, yes. So he will be competing in 2020 and he will be doing everything. The main competitors do. He's going to be starting a cult and doing whatever crazy format they come up with, um, next year. And, uh, so we'll have him on to talk a little bit about Mustang training and experience with Road of the Horse and how he might be preparing to do a cult starting competition. For those of you who are not familiar uh, with Road of the Horse, it's this huge event they do in Lexington, Kentucky every year. Um, and trainers have something like three or four hours to take an unbroke Texas ranch horse and get on them. And ride them around the craziest obstacles you've ever seen. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. They've always had some really amazing trainers like Dan James and Guy Hello. McLean. Hey, Craig, we were just talking about uh, just talking about you. Um, so we've got with us Craig Moore, who, like I said, is a Mustang trainer uh, and well, general horse trainer, um, and is a wildcard competitor for Road of the Horse 2020. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what kind of, what kind of training do you do with horses? What kind of discipline are you interested in? You know, right now we mostly just do the cult starting and then like some problem solving and I like to rope and I'm just getting back into it, but we're not really set up here right now to make rope horses. So, you know, and I think like most riders are just, you know, they do trail riding or kind of fun days or obstacle days. So that's kind of what we probably cater to the most right now. And if I had, I haven't really decided if I had my choice, what I would go to, because I think the cow horse is really cool. And, um, I, I don't think I'd ever be maybe like a reigning trainer, but I like the people a lot So right now, just, you know, doing what the people need is kind of where I'm at. Which I think is really smart. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat. I get people who ask me all the time, what kind of training do you do? I'm like, uh, Western Mustangs. Uh, so, and if you do the Mustang makeovers, you do have to be a jack of all trades and do all the things. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's really smart because the demographic that you're catering to is probably the biggest horse demographic. And there's a huge need out there for really just broke all around horses, um, that can go on the trail and, and be pretty dependable. And so when you say me, uh, we, sorry, uh, so you're down there, down in Texas with, uh, a fellow Mustang trainer, Katie Ketterhagen. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And both of you guys are kind of this, uh, I guess power couple when it comes to horse training. Um, so I've met you from the Mustang makeovers. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the Mustangs and what drew you to the Mustangs? Yeah, so I'm here with Katie, and we train together, and it is super awesome. You know, if we struggle with the horse, we can just have the other person work with it. <laughs> but, um, That's so nice. <laughs> the Mustang deal, I, I did a cold starting challenge in 2016, 
And they used Mustangs, and they had sent them to the prison program to get gentled and halter broke, thankfully, because I don't know how it would have went in just a few days not doing that. But it, it yeah. helped a lot that they were gentle already. And so then right after that, I think a month later, they had the Extreme Mustang makeover in Queen Creek. And I was like, I'd just done the Mustang, so I'm like looking into it. And I'm like, fine, I find Mustang Heritage Foundation and I'm like, oh man, this looks really cool. And I go down and I watch some of it. I only got to go for one day, but I was just like blown away. I was like, oh, I have to do this. Just watching them do all the classes and how good some were. I was, I was really impressed. Uh, some of those trainers that year did really well. So I was like, couldn't wait till 2017, like to do it. And in 2017, they didn't come to Arizona. And I think they only went like five places that year. And I was like, oh, man, I'll just wait till next year. And then in 2018, they only went to Kentucky and Texas. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm doing it. I'm driving to Texas. I don't even care. And at that point, I was a paramedic. So I was oh working goodness. I was working five or six like nights a week, sometimes seven. Like I had a, a few months where I had three days off from being a paramedic. and uh, But I just worked at night on call. So some nights I'd stay home all night and sleep. And some nights they'd call me at seven and I'd get home at 8.30 in the morning. So I'd be gone 14 hours or whatever. So when, and for the Texas one, I was like, I'm doing this. I don't care what it takes. And I signed up and that's what I did. I mean, I had days where I worked at night and I would work nine horses during the day. And I was turning the candle at both ends. And I mean, I, some weeks were really hard where nutritionally I would fall short and I would get really bad headaches and, you know, so I had to find the balance and that ended up being walking away from being a paramedic, which is a great decision. I'm happy I did it. Oh my goodness. So I was complaining before the show started about how stressed I was and I had all this going on and you just made me feel really guilty about my workload. Um, so that's incredible because yeah, anyone who's worked these Mustangs know that it's not like, oh, 30 minutes a day and we'll be ready. It's you like breathe and eat and sleep everything Mustang. And so it's it's quite incredible that you were working a very crazy, stressful full-time job and doing this as well. Um, so this last year... Um, I think it was this this year, uh, there was a kind of added bonus to doing these Mustang makeovers, and that was the Road to the Horse competition said uh, they were going to pick one of their wild cards from this uh, group of competitors that were doing the Mustang makeovers. Um, so uh, hearing that, was that any kind of draw for you in signing up for uh, the Mustang makeovers this year? Were you hoping to get chosen, or was it kind of just a nice bonus that they chose you for that competition? You know, I will start off by saying I'm really big on manifesting things and I'm big on, you know, like power of positive thinking and all that stuff and kind of thinking the things into your life that you want in your life. And I had started thinking about Road to the Horse a few years ago and I just kept it in my mind a lot. And then when they announced that, I, I literally every single day would try to picture myself at Road to the Horse. Like, being there and it's just like one of those things where I feel like the stars align because I felt so bad for the other trainers. They canceled LA and if you yes. sign up for LA and not Kentucky, 
Well, they wouldn't, it was too late to sign up for Kentucky. So you missed LA. Fort Worth got moved. And yeah. So they weren't like, going to choose from Fort Worth. Yeah. They literally had to choose from Florida and Kentucky. And it, it took so many people out of it that would have just been awesome. There's so many good wrestling trainers that would do a great job. So it was like to me, it's like literally it fell in place the way it had to for it to work out. And, I felt like I needed to win Florida. I'm like, if I want a shot, I need to win Florida. And I put in a lot of work and I really got lucky that Katie just got kind of a tougher mare than me. Like (laughs) her horse was just tough. Like she had an attitude and just, you know, she did a good job with that horse. But going into the show, the the three preliminary classes, she did well. And in, the finals that horse was like i'm done and just the attitude came out and she went from she got second in the prelim classes to she ended up fourth so um but yeah i really feel like i kind of dreamed it into my life and i wanted it and it fell it happened a way that took people out of the running and i feel bad for them but you know my goal is to do good enough this year that look, that they say, man, we've got to get another Mustang trainer back because they really did a good job. I think I think it's such a great pool of competitors to choose from, and and that's how uh, when they first did the wild card with a different format several years ago, that's how I was able to get kind of a foothold was with my work with Mustang makeover, because, you know, I was able to show them, look, I did this and this and this. And so it's such a a great launch pad. Um, so yeah, you and Katie, when you guys both, you guys both compete at a lot of the same competitions and you guys are often neck and neck. Um, how does that work out where when you guys both show up to a competition, you both know that you're really going against each other because you're both really excellent trainers. Um, uh, how does that feel when uh, one of you wins and the other doesn't and vice versa? You know, I think if you truly love somebody, you're happy for them to do well. And so if you're envious of your partner beating you, then <laughs> you probably need to check yourself. So, you know, I I didn't, obviously, like we just did the tip challenge and she won and I got second. And I was very happy for her to win. And, you know, if, if I were to get upset about anything, it might be about scoring or like maybe I fell short somewhere and I, you know, maybe I didn't help my horse enough or prepare my horse enough, but I wouldn't be mad at her winning. And we are both competitive. Like that's, that's why we want to do these. That's why we're signing up and going to the competitions because I love it. I personally love a timeline. I love a timeline with horses because life has a timeline and yeah, it feels long, like 80, hundred years. It feels long, but it's really not. And you want to f- learn how to fit things into a timeline. And the cool thing about the EMM is you have enough time to do a good job, but you don't have any time to waste. And that's kind of how I feel about life too. So, you know, if, if she wins, I'm super happy. And if I win, then she might not be cause you know, it's better if she wins. <laughs> no. But yeah, like I think we're a good team that way that we support each other a lot. And it, it's, if I, if I was not happy, if I was mad about losing because she won, well, I'd, I'd need to go meditate or run a yeah. mile or do something. You need to get your life good. in order. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So, well, that's, that's really good. And, and, uh, it's, it's really cool to see both of you guys doing so good in the horse industry. Um, so I love the the analogy about life being a timeline and how the Mustang makeovers kind of really fit that idea. Um, so you've got this deadline looming for road to the horse, and I've spoken with a lot of competitors over the years and heard interviews that I've done and everyone's got their own kind of way to prepare because, you know, a lot of these guys that get chosen have started hundreds of colts, but this is completely different. This is a timed competition. Uh, no matter what people say, this is not how we do it at home. You've got to, if you want to be in there, you've got to really cater to how this is going to run. So are you doing anything super special to prepare for uh, your moment in the round pen in March? Uh, yeah, the biggest thing probably going around and visiting uh, cold service I really respect. I know a few that are really good at the competition cold starting. And like I said, competition cold starting is different and you need to get ready for that. Just like showing a horse at the EMM is different than if I was training a horse for someone to be a trail horse. So the big thing is probably seeking help, uh, finding mentors, people I respect. The ones I'm really drawn to are the ones that are so confident. The ones that think, they could teach anybody, even kind of a beginner horse person, they could teach them how to start a colt. And so I'm drawn to them and their confidence because that's where I'd like to be. I probably second guess myself too much. Like I don't even know if I've ever started two horses the same. Like, and so that's another thing I have to have a process and I want to have a plan and I want to go in there with an idea. And I got really good advice from someone the other day they said, for every colt you start, you need to do a colt start on a broke horse. You need to take a horse that is already a rope horse, a riding horse, like personal horse of mine, of course, and do a colt start. Go through all your motions and practice what you're going to do. And then, obviously, horses are going to throw curveballs at you, and you're going to adjust to the situation. But having a plan, it's way easier to make an adjustment, get back on plan. And if you don't have a plan, you go down this rabbit hole, then this rabbit hole, then you get to the end and you realize, oh man, I forgot to do that thing at the beginning. So that would be it. Developing a plan. What do I want to do? Getting help from people that really know this stuff. And, you know, and then the mindset, I think the mindset's big. I think getting mentally prepared. um, And I'm excited. I'm so excited about the people, meeting new people, helping people. I say that I'm horse training because I love helping people and I love helping horses. And the best way to help the most horses is to help the people, show the people what they can do, how they can do it. And that's going to help the horses. So that's where I'm at mental and physical preparation. And I'm supposed to start doing cardio and I guess that's like running and every day the treadmill. Yes. So that could be helpful. Yeah, I know. I need a treadmill. Right now, I'm just killing myself trying to build these pens before tomorrow. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. You're in the same boat I am. I'm I'm like, I'm not ready for this Mustang. Um, yeah, we're all picking our Mustangs up for the, the 2020 makeover. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, well, the, the thing you said about the confidence, I think that's really important because, you know, obviously you want the confidence to be able to walk in and do this three-hour cult start and, and be, you know, that helps you to be competitive. But I think with horses in general, um, I think the biggest problem I see with your average horse, uh, horse owner who's doing their own training is 
a lack of confidence because I've, I'll see people at clinics and they're doing all the correct movements, but the horse isn't engaged with them and it isn't doing it. And it took me a long time to figure out, like I would take a hold of the horse and he would immediately do what I asked. And the owner would take a hold of the horse and they, they would mind me perfectly and do what I was doing. And the horse wouldn't do anything. And it was when I started telling people, and this is that where that visualization comes in. I'm like, picture if we're trying to get the horse to back up, for instance, I'm like, picture him backing, look at him and see him backing. And all of a sudden the feet would start to move and that horse would back up. And I think where uh, our benefit of having experience is we have tried and failed so many times and then figured it out and then succeeded that when a new horse comes and say it won't get on the trailer, I know I will get that horse on the trailer. It may take three hours. It may take a couple of days, but he will get on the trailer. I will figure it out. I've got this bag of tools I can use. I've got a lot of of things to try, and I will get him on the trailer. It will happen. But most people, when they work with horses, they don't know that, especially if they're trying a new method and they can't, they just can't picture themselves succeeding. So lo and behold, that horse does not get on the trailer for them, even if they just got on the trailer for the trainer. So I think, uh, I think that really hit home talking about confidence and visualization. That is such a big part of training horses. Even if you don't have all the tools yet, just you know, acting like, you know, kind of like a fake it till you make it acting like, you know what you're doing and being that leader for your horse, I think is really important. Absolutely. I love that. And you know what you said about, you know, you're going to get the horse on the trailer. I think that determination, once, once you project to your horse, like this is going to happen, we're going to do this. A lot of times the horse is like, okay, fine. We're going to do it. Like, it's just really funny. And I think when you were talking about the visualization, I was totally thinking about when I've studied some of the animal communication in the past, and they say how a lot of animal communicators use visualization. So they might not always communicate with words, but they do pictures. And it's almost like, I think horses are so sensitive. Sometimes they might be reading your mind a little bit. And it's almost like, you know, and then your body language will change. Everything, it's like, you know, the whole universe and if people believe like how everything's connected, I think that's, that can be part of it if you believe that. And I, I do believe in a lot of that stuff. I'm, you know, one of those weirdos that I'm not overly spiritual, but I just, I don't know. I just kind of, I love all that stuff and it really gives you a good feeling. So yeah, that's, there's certainly I like it. something to stuff. it. Yeah. And, you know, maybe one day we'll be able to put hard science to what's actually happening. But I I completely uh, I completely buy into a lot of it. You know, at the very least, if nothing else, visualizing it and projecting that confidence um, does it really, truly does make a difference um, with horses. Um, so one of the things we do on this show is we get a lot of fantastic listener questions from our auditors about horse training. And I was wondering if you might want to tackle one of these. Absolutely. Sounds great. Let's do it. So I'm going to pick one for you. Uh, okay. We got one from Laura Berry. And her question is, my new-to-me mare has a dangerous habit of backing fast when she's in a situation she doesn't want to be in. I can stop the backward motion and move her sideways then forwards, but it's honestly pretty scary. My trainer is working with us to make my signals clearer 
to correct her fast, but how do I stop her from doing it in the first place? I don't know if she had that issue before I got her or if I've caused her to try this dangerous trick to get out of work. I've never had a horse do this. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a confirmed habit. And when you have, to me, when you have a habit like that, it's never going to be a quick fix. You may never completely extinguish that fire. You will probably always have to be aware of it. How I would first address it, I would check with how well they come forward off of the lead rope pressure. And I don't know if you're on or back or not, but let's start on the ground. Let's say you're on the ground. So a lot of horses, people say, oh, man, they lead great. They come off the lead rope great. But if you watch them, the horse never hits the end of the lead rope. They're just with you, which is good. Mm -hmm. But what I'll do is I'll stand next to them, I'll start them back, and then I'll just immediately back up and pull them forward. And a horse like that initially will typically panic and run back more. And I just stay with them. Like, say I pick up the rope with five pounds of pressure when I switch from back to forward. I'll pick it up with my five pounds, and if they run backwards, I just kind of go with them and keep it around five pounds of pressure or maybe whatever, a little more, a little less here and there. And then when they come forward, I just bring them forward and pet them. And I do it over and over until they figure out to come forward off of that pressure. And then at least you have a tool to like, okay, my horse is backing up when I pick up, they know to come forward. So you might honestly have to do that 500 times. Like it sounds like a lot, but really you could do it a hundred times, you know, in a day, no problem. Like it wouldn't even take you that long. It's just a lot of practice you know? So I would practice that. Okay. Back up to do they come forward and pretty soon they'll come forward soft. You almost won't even be able to catch them off guard. They'll be so ready to come forward. And when your horse prepares to come forward, they won't be so keen on running back. And if you're on your horse's back, that's a little tougher. See, most of us trainers won't run into that problem because we've addressed it on the ground. And the way we've addressed it on the ground is we've put them through a lot of things in our groundwork I personally do a lot of flag work. So I mm -hmm. want my horse to move around and I wave the flag everywhere. I pet their back. I go under their girth, into their flank, and I want them to stay in the walk. If they stop, I just ask them forward. I don't, it's not a big deal. Okay, you stop, go forward again. Now I start petting them with the flag again. If they trot, I just pick up my lead rope. I push their hip away, disengage, go the other way, and I start petting that side. And if they trot, I do the same back and forth till they'll walk and then you know, if they have been trotting a lot and they go to the walk, then I pet for a while and I make it a good place. So mentally preparing your horse to handle situations, you, I like to do it on the ground. And it's just where, you know, backing up just never becomes the answer. It's going to go, it's just going to kind of go away. To specifically fix it, it's going to be very situational. And it would obviously help me to see it and, and, one of the biggest things I find is misdiagnosis of issues. So people message me and they say, Hey, how do I fix this? And I say, this is how I fix it. Oh, that doesn't work. And I say, well, send me a video. And I watch the video and really the problem isn't the problem that they think they're having something else. So you have to go back and fix it. So I would definitely recheck all the groundwork, make sure your horse can come forward off the lead rope, even from a backup, come forward right away. Um, check what the scary spots are, check the blind spot under the chin, you know, make sure that's good. And all, when you get all that stuff kind of covered, your horse will kind of run out of reasons to run backwards and that'll help you a lot. But yeah, good luck. I mean, it's, 
it sounds like uh, you guys are working on it and at least you're aware of it and it's something you want to fix. And if you know you want to fix it and you keep your mind on it and you keep after it, you will get it fixed eventually, even if it takes a while. That's a perfect answer. And kudos to you, Laura, for having it working with a trainer. So it's it's nice, if nothing else, to have an extra set of eyes on you to help you through it. And and I wouldn't have too much to add to it. I'd probably do a lot of the exact same things. Um, when I see horses that do this, most of the time, I think probably every horse I've seen that has this issue of running backwards to get out of things, it's usually a behavior that's created. It's it's not you don't see horses when you watch them interacting in the pasture. Backing up is something they rarely do. They'll back up a couple steps to eat a piece, you know, a grass, but they don't run backwards uh, very naturally. So it's often something they've learned to do, and it could be something where someone was very aggressive with them and got into fights with them and the horse learned to run backwards to get away from it. It might have even uh, occurred because I've seen it a lot with young horses that were tied and something spooked them and they backed up and broke the halter and got away from it. And that that happened a number of times. So they've learned, oh, backing gets me away from danger or horses that have trouble loading, they've learned to fly backwards out of the trailer. So it's usually something that has been created over time through, you know, just their environment or or a man-made thing. And it can be very hard to break because that horse has gotten relief sometime in his past from running backwards. Um, so what Craig said, a flag work, I think is very, very good. Um, and the flag to me kind of creates this sort of like fire drill type of effect because every horse that's never been exposed to it is going to have some reaction to the flag and you can, in a very controlled, safe setting, I do this with solid fencing and good footing in a small enough area that I can hold onto the horse And I'll use that flag to sort of create this instance where my horse is going to want to do the bad thing. I don't do it so aggressively that we just, we're going to fail, but I'm I'm very controlled in managing exactly how much stress I'm going to heap on this horse. And then I teach him he's going to want to run backwards. So like Craig said, I'll just keep the same amount of pressure on the rope and I might have to go with him to stay with him and not lose hold of the rope. And I'll just keep that pressure on and and I'm not trying to punish and I'm not being angry I'm very dispassionate about it I just wait until he comes forward and then as soon as he does you know often the very first time they do this I act like it's the Olympics I pet on him I love on him like that's what I wanted this is where you're going to find your safety coming forward off the lead looking at me looking to me for help. I'm going to help you through it. You don't help yourself because you'll be in a bad way Um, you need to look for me and stay with me Um, so one thing I would recommend if you're not familiar with, uh, any kind of working with the flag or you've never done a whole bunch of groundwork, um, one of my favorite books to recommend to people, it's a little red book by Buck Braneman. It's got all sorts of, uh, exercises and a lot of them have to do with getting the horse to come forward off the halter and it's just groundwork it's buck brandeman's groundwork book thin little red book with old black and white photos from the 80s but it's a great book and if you go through everything that's in that book you know just take whatever time it takes if it takes you a year if it takes you three days just whatever work at your pace work at your horse's pace you have a pretty nice horse and you can help root out a lot of issues uh with a book like that and uh so that's what i'd recommend 
Uh, well, we're almost out of time. Craig, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, if people want to f- learn more about you and your program, where can we find you online? Uh, thank you, Mary. I really enjoyed it. Uh, more Horsemanship on Facebook. That's our... The, I just set it up because I've been lazy about it, and then I had to <laughs> because... Well, actually, you know, a big part of it, too, I just... I don't know. I don't really have this vision of myself as being a big thing so like i like forced myself to be like more horsemanship this is me so um on there on facebook and you know that's really and then just craig moore on facebook also and then hopefully in the you know coming years we'll travel around do some clinics and visit and meet with some people but just uh, find me on Facebook. And if you have any questions, reach out. I'm always happy to help. And if you've got videos, I'll check them out and help whoever I can. So again, thank you. I I really appreciate it. It's been a good time. Awesome. Well, get prepared to have a lot of likes on your Facebook page in the coming months. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty surprising. So uh, just be ready for it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, good luck to you and uh, hope to see you soon at the next Mustang makeover. All right, we'll see you then. Have a good one. Well, I love that Craig mentioned um, that the problem you're having might not be the problem. Exactly. And I also, um, I also, these are my two takeaways. That one, and the other one is mentioning that book of Buck Brandeman's, and the title again is? I think it's just Groundwork. Okay. I think that's all it's called. And... Going through every single step because it sounds like Laura has already started to investigate this problem is re- and is realizing that there's something a little bit deeper than the fact that the horse seems to choose to go backwards in a hurry at inappropriate times. And she's already getting that little light bulb going, hmm. And this that's something that a very long time ago, one of our early horses in the morning shows, we had somebody on who trains um police horses and when they get a horse in to train as a police horse regardless of the horse's history they start and you've recommended this many times they start at day one they don't make any assumption that the horse knows anything and again something that craig talked about go through your process of colt starting with a made horse and that's going to cause you to go oh i missed a step Exactly. And, exactly. and that's fascinating that we, we, we so often make assumptions that a horse knows something because we just, well, of course he knows that. Well, maybe not. And this is a perfect example of a behavior that really solving this behavior and, and eliminating the behavior and the, and the dangerous aspect of the behavior is going to be... Just, okay, don't assume that he knows how to walk forward from a lead rope. I know Nigel, my horse, he does not know how to move forward from the pressure of a halter yet. I have not conquered it. He leads fine. But I know now that I've I've kind of embraced this whole, you know, get it all right. He really doesn't yet. I haven't conquered teaching him that yet. I need to come to your clinic in September. See you in Heck yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and yeah, with the leading especially, a lot of horses seem to lead great, but really what the horse is doing is, oh, my person's over there and I should be next to them. And so they seem like they lead fine, but then what ends up happening is something will spook that horse and he'll hit that lead rope 
full force and he won't know what to do about it. Um, yeah. And yeah, he, when it, when it know, hits the fan, that's when it shows that he exactly. really doesn't know how. And I, I struggle with that because in my little world, um, that wasn't something, you know, if the horse broke the cross ties, you just put, you put baler twine on it. <laughs> yeah. And you just keep doing it and hopefully he stops. And yeah. I've, I've been around the block. I've seen so many things go horrible and, and heard of things go horrible. And so when I'm training a horse, I'm always thinking it kind of sucks to have that mindset because you do kind of walk around with a doom and gloom attitude sometimes if you let it overtake you. But I'm always thinking, okay, if I had to take this horse tomorrow to a busy show in a asphalt parking lot, parking lot and he's got to stay tight all day on to the trailer. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if another horse breaks loose and is running across the parking lot like a crazy person? Is my horse going to be okay? Because they can they can look, be so perfect at home with their familiar setting and our soft footing and the arena they've been in all their life. But I'm always thinking, okay, what's going to happen if uh, you know I'm walking I'm walking down the road with my horse. And a plastic bag flies in front of them. And that's why things like flag work, it helps me do what I call fire drills. It's very controlled stress that I know my horse will react to. And I can conquer whatever he doles out in my safe home environment. And I can teach him over and over like, okay, you know, pop quiz. What happens if something spooky comes across your path? What do you do? I cannot force my horse to be fine with everything. He's a prey animal. I am not a prey animal, and I'm terrified of half the things that I run across every day. So I know my horse is going to react to something. So I can't make him non-reactive. I cannot uh, breed or train the prey animal out of him. What I can do is show him, listen, Something's going to happen. You're going to want to move your feet. Here's what you do. If you can't relax and accept it, you're going to give to pressure on the halter. You're going to look at me because I'm going to help you through this. Um, and you're going to wait for further instructions. And this is how we're going to get through it. You're not going to take matters in your own hands by pulling the lead rope out of my hands. Because at home, no big deal. I'll just go catch you. But if we're at a show or we're on the trail... Right. Or, you know, right. we're at the vet, we're in any kind of situation where you cannot get loose or you're going to get hit by a car. Uh, we need to have dealt with this at home before we go and, and just hope it all goes right. well right. out right. in the world. Right. Yeah. Wow. God. Once again, geeked out for 90 minutes on horse training and it goes by in a flash. One more time, your clinic in Kemp, Texas, one-on-one -on -one yes. with Mary Kitzmiller for an entire day. They're going to find you on Facebook, Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship, right? Just message yep, just, you there or post on our Facebook page and you can get all the details. And uh, we will be back again next month on the second Thursday with more geeking out on Mary Kitzmiller horsemanship. Awesome. Awesome. This is a good show. There we go. Go to horsesinthemorning.com and find the links. Follow us on Twitter, Horse Radio.